With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and... Starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SupChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. It has been a week of firsts across China in the world of business. Last week, we saw S&P Global become China's first wholly foreign-owned ratings agency. China's exchange-traded funds became accessible to overseas investors for the first time, and Chinese scientists proved that the coronavirus could be spread via frozen food for the first time. We'll also speak with China General News reporter Matthew Walsh about China's first pledge made by Xi Jinping at the UN General Assembly last month to achieve carbon neutrality by the year 2060. With all the important news and reporting on all of China's firsts, here's what's been happening in the world of business this week. China's fast-growing $157 billion market for exchange-traded funds, or ETFs, became directly accessible to overseas investors Friday, Bloomberg reported. Four so-called feeder ETFs started trading in Shenzhen and Hong Kong, the first batch in a project aimed at connecting the two markets. The Shenzhen funds track the Hang Seng China Enterprise Index and the S&P New China Sectors Index, while the Hong Kong-listed ETFs follow the benchmark CSI 300 Index and a gauge of China's 5G companies. ETFs are investment vehicles that collect capital locally and settle trades across the border. They are popular with retail traders around the world because they are among the cheapest way to trade an index. Amid growing U.S.-China tech tensions, telecom giant Huawei Technologies reported Friday its revenue growth and net margin fell sharply in the third quarter. The company's third quarter revenue grew 3.8% year-over-year to 217.3 billion yuan, down from 13.1% growth in the first half of the year, according to Caixin's calculations using new company data. The company's profit margin during the first three quarters of 2020 fell to 8% from 9.2% for the first six months of the year. In more bad news, earlier in the week, Sweden announced it was banning Huawei and Chinese peer ZTE Corp from its 5G network. New York-listed S&P Global has become China's first wholly foreign-owned ratings agency for exchange-traded bonds. On Thursday, 
the company registered with the country's securities watchdog to carry out credit ratings business in China's exchange-traded bond market, making it the first wholly foreign-owned credit ratings agency to do so. Chinese regulators and some market participants have high hopes for the entry of foreign ratings agencies, which may force their domestic counterparts to strengthen standards and improve compliance awareness. No internet connection? If you want to use China's new digital currency, that's no problem. China's central bank has completed the technical processes to enable its digital currency to be used without an internet connection and will apply the function in trial projects, an official said Thursday. Earlier this month, China's southern megacity of Shenzhen used the digital yuan to provide residents with 50,000 digital coupons worth $1.5 million in total, which they could spend in designated shops capable of accepting digital yuan payments. The pilot program went well and was more popular than expected, with nearly 8.8 million yen spent through digital wallets. It now looks increasingly likely that the novel coronavirus can be spread via frozen foods between countries. China's National Disease Control Authority has isolated active coronaviruses from packaging used to store imported frozen fish, strengthening the theory that COVID-19 can spread through international chilled food supply chains. The discovery, which was announced Saturday by the Chinese Center for Disease Control and Prevention, China CDC, in an online statement, marks the first time that active coronaviruses have been found on packaging under the extreme conditions of cold storage. However, China's CDC stressed that the risk of contracting the virus through contact with cold chain foods was very low. One of China's largest fast food chains, Dikos, often described as an imitation KFC, are following their American counterpart by launching a range of artificial meat options. The new menu items will include mock chicken burgers and other products and will be supplied by Starfield Food and Science Technology Limited, which makes artificial meat out of seaweed proteins. The new campaign is targeting a younger, more environmentally and health-conscious Chinese consumer, Dikos Chief Marketing Officer Xie Yahui told Caixin. While more outlets in China, including Starbucks, have introduced faux meat alternatives to their menu, a poll conducted last year estimated that less than a third of people in China were interested in trying artificial meat, and more than half were not. And finally, could too much education be to blame for China's falling fertility rate? A new term has been trending on China's social media, Hua. The concept directly translates as involution, but more accurately describes the phenomenon where a previously useful social process starts to stagnate. In this particular case, some people are arguing that the previously beneficial process of opening up access to the best education and other social goods has reached the point of involution, which has meant that competition for enrollment in the best schools has intensified and the cost of raising children has subsequently risen. And therefore, people are less willing to have children. The term has polarized debate across social media, with other people offering a raft of reasons why fertility rates might be falling. Let's turn now to Matthew Walsh, Caixin Global China general news reporter. So, Matthew, there's been a lot of talk about China and global warming, especially since Xi Jinping pledged last month to achieve carbon neutrality by 2060. What does his pledge mean exactly? 
Yeah, so in September, President Xi addressed the United Nations General Assembly and unexpectedly announced two things. First of all, that China would peak its carbon emissions before 2030. And secondly, that the country would become carbon neutral before 2060. Now, the first announcement um, wasn't a massive surprise. It put some meat on the bones of a policy that's already broadly in line with China's commitments under the, the Paris Climate Agreement. But the second announcement really made people sit up and pay attention um, because the pledge means that China is now aiming to emit a net zero carbon dioxide by the year 2060. Um, and as we know, carbon dioxide is a greenhouse gas that, once it's released into the atmosphere, becomes a, a real driver of global heating and climate change. Now, China emits more carbon dioxide than any other country in the world. And that's largely because huge swathes of its economy depend on burning fossil fuels like coal um, or carbon intensive industries like steel. And the country also has a lot of other very emissions heavy sectors like transportation and livestock. So China's pledge, therefore, to go carbon neutral really heralds this huge overhaul, really, of how the country um, is going to live, work, travel and eat. Um, and beyond that, Xi's announcement was also a really powerful symbol, I think, on how China is positioning itself as a global leader on climate change, um, while its most powerful competitor, the United States, uh, really appears to be doing the opposite, at least under the Trump administration. So I'd like to sort of just cite the difference between the two leaders' speeches. So at that uh, UN General Assembly meeting, uh, Xi framed the 2060 pledge as, you know, heeding the warnings from nature at a time of, of huge ecological precariousness, right? While Donald Trump used his address at the same meeting to attack China and to defend his administration's environmental record, which has been uh, checkered at best. Nicely put. Uh, so how does China plan to actually achieve these very ambitious carbon emissions reductions? I mean, that is quite a challenge, no? It's a huge challenge. Um, for instance, just in terms of energy, China currently generates about 65 to 70% of its energy from coal. Uh, and that proportion will have to rapidly come down in the decades to come. Um, and then you have to factor in emissions from, from agriculture, from industry, from transportation. So decarbonizing an economy of China's size has never been done before. And it'll probably cost somewhere north of $5 trillion, uh, analysts predict. Uh, the government hasn't yet laid out a final roadmap for delivering carbon neutrality by 2060. We will likely know more as we find out details uh, about the next five-year plan in the coming months. That's the, the policy guidelines that will, that will shape what the government does between 2021 and 2025. Um, but for now, officials and climate experts are sketching out a few grand strategies, I guess, for, for, for getting to carbon neutrality. Um, and although those strategies differ in their details, they all envision a really sharp decline in fossil fuel consumption during the 2030s at the very latest um, in a bid to reduce carbon emissions by up to 85% by the year 2050. If China doesn't reach 85% decarbonisation by that time, um, it's, it makes it a lot more difficult to reach that ultimate net zero pledge in 2060. So this reduction in fossil fuels um, is going to be accompanied by a massive scale up in renewable power. Uh, and China is already a leader in the production of, say, wind and solar energy, but it will need to grow these sectors even more over the coming years, while also overcoming 
problems like significant overcapacity in that sector um, and, and you know, long-held issues of energy transfer and storage in order to meet that target. But perhaps the most controversial um, or unknown part of these plans, I guess, is that all of them rely to some extent on ways of absorbing and capturing the carbon dioxide that is being emitted into the atmosphere. So these these strategies can include things like you know, planting more trees or restoring wetlands, which trap a lot of carbon. Um, those are kind of natural ways of, of drawing down carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. But every plan almost certainly will also include technologies like carbon capture and storage, um, which are technologies that effectively suck carbon dioxide out of the air. Now, many of those technologies do exist, but in quite sort of rudimentary forms. Um, and many of them are still very expensive and not widely used across China at the moment. And that raises real doubts about how feasible their their deployment might be. This is a topic that obviously gets a lot of attention. Is Xi Jinping's pledge something that we should all be taking seriously? So, yeah, I mean, China's 2060 carbon neutrality pledge is, is of huge global importance. Um, we're now about two years on from the special report from the interna- uh, Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, which you know said that the global economy really needs to rapidly decarbonize and we need to make sweeping changes to the ways that we live if we're going to meet the Paris goal of limiting global heating to um, 1.5 degrees centigrade above pre-industrial levels or you know at the very most two degrees centigrade. Um, you know, even those temperature rises are hardly ideal, but any warming beyond them, um, and certainly beyond two degrees, will potentially have really serious consequences for societies. And some of those consequences are already playing out now. Um, so for the world's biggest greenhouse gas emitter, China, to come out and, and commit to that kind of decarbonisation um, is a real shot in the arm for, for the climate movement. To give an idea of what this means, the Climate the climate Action Tracker, which is an environmental research body, estimates that China going carbon neutral by 2060 could single-handedly lower global heating projections by 0.2 to 0.3 degrees centigrade over that period. And that could make all the difference between the world meeting the Paris goals or missing them. Matthew, what a pleasure to have you on. Thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me. Well, we look forward to having you back. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin and to Marcus Ryder of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. For more on China, be sure to check out the other shows in the Seneca Network on SUP China. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SUP China Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.